Welcome to the underground, the Steel City Underground, the black and gold standard for Pittsburgh Steelers coverage. Now, here's your host, Joe Kuzma. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Steel City Underground podcast. My name is Joe Kuzma, and uh, folks, we have a special guest Joining us today, Will McFadden from uh, the Believe in Falcons podcast, as well as uh, one of the writers, contributors, uh, I'm not sure exactly all your involvement over SB Nation's The Falcoholic, which is a great name, by the way. Uh, so, Will, <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us as, uh, to preview this upcoming game this Sunday between the Steelers and Falcons, both teams that have fortunately uh, have a bit on the better side of the 500 record this year. No, unfortunately not, Joe, but I appreciate you having me on. A lot to like about this matchup. George Pickens, my uh, my Georgia boy, is really starting to heat up, so I'm excited yeah. to see him against A.J. Terrell. Uh, Kenny Pickett, obviously the quarterback situation down here in Atlanta has been a big talking point, and Pittsburgh chose to go in a different direction than Atlanta has, so I'm sure we'll dig into all of that, but I'm really excited to talk to you about it today. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it doesn't seem like Desmond Ritter is really going to get a crack at this anytime soon, right? And he was a big hot name. Uh, the Steelers were all linked to all of the quarterbacks in the draft. And of course, the Falcons yeah. ended up with Ritter, who's not too far from my stomping grounds, played at Cincinnati. So it's it's kind of cool. Uh, I'm a more Ohio State guy, but, you know, Cincinnati, <laughs> it's like it's like a little gnat that flies around every now and then. So you little more under the radar than say Georgia, for example, uh, with George Pickens. <laughs> and we got some Cincinnatis down here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, five and seven Falcons, four and seven Steelers. Uh, very, very interesting. When I was doing this last week with the Colts and I was saying, man, these two teams really kind of match up really well. That's because they're not on the winning side of things, unfortunately, as I just mentioned. So a five-win team, a four-win team. However, this game's probably, I mean, it's still important for the Steelers. They're not completely out of it, but the mm -hmm. NFC South, it's just, it's just kind of like, I hate to say disaster, but kind of, I think unexpected when you take a look around the league and Falcons kind of need this one. And I, I, I sound unprofessional saying this, but I'm glad you're here, Will, because I don't know if before this, before doing a little bit of homework, if I could have named maybe five Atlanta, current Atlanta Falcons, this team doesn't look like. <laughs> Anything that I'm used to seeing over previous years, Matt Ryan was just playing in some other weird white uniform, white helmet thing on Monday night. The Steelers will come to Atlanta, second straight road game in a row and, um, and on a short week. So tell us about uh, the importance of this game. Seems like it's always important when the Steelers come to town, right? Always a big occasion. Everyone's going to party. I was going to try and make my way down to Atlanta. I might still, I might still, it's a, it's not a bad car ride for me, but I'm kind of, I'm thinking it's hard to believe it's already December football. So tell us about the importance of this game for the Atlanta Falcons. Well, I mean, first off, you're right there that Pittsburgh travels well, regardless, but in Atlanta, it feels like we always get when we play these AFC North teams, AFC East, NFC North, uh, NFC East, like, all of these northern uh, teams, their fan bases just relish, I think, the opportunity to come down here uh, to Atlanta in December, in late November, early January, whenever that game is, because Mercedes-Benz Stadium, previously the Georgia Dome, like tons of fan Buffalo came down here in 2017, and it wasn't even that late in the year, but I swear, man, that, that building was just filled with Buffalo fans, so I expect it to be pretty similar uh, with, with Pittsburgh, which... I mean, terrible towels left and right. Even when the Falcons are good, like that's just kudos to your fan base. Yeah. Um, and, but, and their deep pockets too. <laughs> that certainly helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when, I mean, you're totally right to really not know a ton of names on this Falcons team. I think I compared them a few weeks back to like the Mighty Ducks. It's just a hodgepodge of players who kind of came from everywhere with, uh, you know, a coach that has a real vision. But yeah, there's not a lot of household names on here. Grady Jarrett. Is, is still there on defense, and he's had a, a good year. He slowed a little bit. He started off really, really hot. I wonder if teams have adjusted to him uh, a little bit there. Offensively, you know, it, Kyle Pitts is, is down. He's done for the year. He had surgery um, this week, so he's done. Uh, behind him, I mean, it's Drake London. It's Marcus Mariota. It's Cordero Patterson. And then there's not a ton of, of household names. 
for this offense either, but you're going to get guys like a Tyler Algier, who's a rookie running back, who is really carving out a nice role um, for this offense. Drake London, of course, but, but Alameda Zacchaeus is really going to be, I think, the sneaky receiver that you're going to hear a lot um, in this game. Defensively, Arnold Abikati, second-round pick, who's a rookie. Uh, he's all over the field. He gets a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Um, even if his sack total is, is not super high, he's always around the ball, so he's a lot of fun. And then the secondary. Outside of A.J. Terrell, not a ton of household names, but they've been playing better football recently. Obviously, A.J. Terrell came back from an injury stint, so that helps. But they're getting it done kind of bits and pieces across the board, not really one or two guys that they lean on consistently. Yeah, uh, and that's all great information. I actually, I was in, um, I was flying down to Miami watching the Falcons and Bengals game where Terrell went down, and yeah, it didn't, it didn't, uh, didn't do your guys much, much of any favors against no. that Bengals uh, offense, and I, I don't expect the same type of output by the Steelers. Obviously, the offense finding its way a little bit here or there. I'm glad you mentioned Grady Jarrett. I mean, that's one that definitely stuck in my mind on the defensive side of the ball, but how do you picture when the Steelers have the ball, how the Falcons are going to defend against rookie quarterback, Kenny Pickett. And well, we really don't know who the running back's going to be. It's kind of been a committee for a variety of reasons. Most of those being due to injury. So last week it was Benny Snell. Now he's limited in practice. Najee Harris was there and left the game early in Indianapolis. So now it might be another hodgepodge as Jalen Warren comes off of this injury report and we don't really know the status yet of Harris looks like Harris is probably leaning towards a no, but that guy wants to play no matter what. So uh, how, how do you kind of picture this playing out for the Falcons defense, uh, how they might approach the Steelers and maybe their lack of, of offense? <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually I was going to, before I give my answer, just ask you a little bit of how, how has the Steelers offense kind of transformed since Kenny Pickett's been in there? Cause I think you see the, the splash plays on like red zone or something where George Pickens is making a crazy catch downfield. But by and large, if you look at some of the, the metrics, it seems like a, a lower average depth of target Pat Fryermuth probably active there as that underneath option or middle of the field option and then checkdowns. But it seems like the run game is still the bread and butter of Pittsburgh. I mean, how exactly do you expect them to attack Atlanta offensively? And then I think I can better answer what Atlanta might do to adjust. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. George Pickens, uh, we've been saying all along, he should be wide receiver one. If you're a defensive coordinator and you're trying to game plan, uh, against the Steelers, you need to take him away uh, by and mm -hmm. large. And Kenny Pickett, uh, since the bye week, Steelers have played three games before the bye, obviously with Mitchell Trubisky still under center. They were, and it's not all just Mitch either. I don't want to dump on him because they scored three points against Buffalo, only 13 against the Eagles. So they've, they've, they've had a tough schedule. They've struggled to put up points against several teams. They're only averaging in the neighborhood of 15. Now that they're mm -hmm. back from the bye, the last three games are about in a 24 and a half area, 20 points against the Saints, 30 against the Bengals, 24 against the Colts. And in all of those situations, they've left points on the board as well. So uh, Steelers, the way they're going to come at you now is probably by trying to run the football. And they had struggled to do that. The offensive line hadn't been really up the snuff, but they've been creating some holes. And I think with kind of going more committee, see Mike Tomlin's never been a committee guy. Najee Harris was brought in to be 100% mm, yeah. bell cow. Le'Veon Bell run him till the wheels come off, and uh, he was forced. To, he was forced in a committee. Mike Tomlin was um, once before uh, after being the new head coach of the Steelers, 2007 ish. So he had Willie Parker still. Willie Parker, he, my guy. Yeah, he still had Willie Parker, but they had Moelle Day Moore. They used a lot in the pass game, pass protection, third down type back. And that's really the last time other than when they were trying to find someone after here's another throwback for you. Richard Mendenhall got mm -hmm. injured and they tried to bring him back. And they had guys like Ike Redman. And then it was just the Levy on bell show for the longest time Yeah. until Najee. Now Najee's taken up that he's been passed the baton. Right. And that hasn't necessarily worked well. He missed a lot of training camp. He had the plate in his foot, been injured. A lot of people are questioning his vision, whether he's been playing healthy. Now he's injured again. And it's nothing against Najee. He's going to go out there and try and give it his 100%, even if he's not 100%. But I think we've seen when they kind of change it up, it doesn't get as stagnant. And defenses aren't sure exactly how to play against a different change of pace back, like a Jalen Warren or even Benny Snell, some guys that can hit the hole a little bit 
little bit faster, maybe Najee being a little more patient at times. And he, he's just got, he's a bigger dude, you know, he's a, he's a bowling ball. So he's yeah. got to put his foot down and just go sometimes. But uh, I do believe even with Anthony McFarlane was called up from the practice squad last week and got some carries and adding Kenny Pickett into that, uh, you know, you're no stranger to mo- mobile quarterbacks. The starter now, we haven't mentioned Marcus Mariota yet. Uh, disclaimer, I've never been a big fan of Marcus Mariota. Desmond Ritter, yeah. you never know what he's going to turn out to be like as a pro, but also kind of um, heralded for his athleticism as well. So if they could get uh, some of these designed, a couple of designed runs for Kenny Pickett, and Kenny isn't, um, let's say, just kind of dumping the ball off. He, he kind of got into a situation where I think he'd get the yips when it came to, oh, man, I turned the ball over, so I'm just going to throw this away. And that's kind of what gotcha. didn't it didn't work so well against the Bengals. And I was waiting. I wanted to see him uh, just kind of tuck it and run and gain some positive yards. And he did that more on Monday night against the Colts. So the Steelers were only about four yards off. I think they only passed for four more yards than running. So you might get a little more of your dad's flavor of Steelers team as they try and, <laughs> you know, they're going to try and control time of possession and they're going to try and run the football a little bit more. So we'll see if they're running right into Grady Jarrett or not, right? Yeah, I mean, the Falcons can be run on. I think that they their interior of their defense has been hit with injuries throughout the year. Um, Taquan Graham, their second year defensive tackle, who had really kind of found a role alongside Grady Jarrett, uh, is also on IR. So they're kind of, again, just really having to rely on some depth that we didn't believe was going to be there at the beginning of the season. It turns out that they do have a little bit more depth than than we thought. They're just players a lot of people have never heard of before. You've got a cornerback in Cornell Armstrong who really filled in well there for AJ Terrell while he was out. Um, On the defensive line, you've got Abdullah Anderson, Timmy Horn, who's an undrafted free agent, but he's been playing well. Uh, So yeah, like it's going to be a lot of people who you're watching this game, you've, you've never heard their name, but Atlanta probably will guard George Pickens with AJ Terrell. They allowed AJ to shadow Terry McLaurin around the field um, last week against Washington and outside of kind of some early plays through the air. Now that game was also in a hurricane. So I I mean, (laughs) I I wonder if that played into it, but no, not at all. Weather's never a factor. (laughs) (laughs) Both teams actually, they were willing to throw the the football uh, last week more than I thought they would, but the Falcons did settle down in the secondary. AJ Terrell had what looked like uh, should have been an interception. Ultimately, it was ruled that he was kind of bobbling the ball and it hit the ground, but that would have been a huge play in the game, and it's nice to see him get back to that. So I expect them to put him on George Pickens and just say, all right, like let's see what you can do. Here's another big challenge. You're our best guy there, or he's their best guy. Let's uh, let you two have at it. Then I think um, you'll see the Falcons probably give a lot of attention to Pat Fryermuth. I really think that he's kind of their engine consistently throughout the passing game like George Pickens can get you those explosives he can get you the big play that can swing momentum in a game but but by and large if you're extending a drive if you're just kind of moving down the field I think Pat Pat Fryermuth is the guy that scares me um, the most in, in that regard so I think Atlanta will look for a combination of bracketing with the the linebackers with their safeties they like to move their safeties around Michael Walker uh, has had an interception last week uh, he's played really well at kind of middle linebacker Rashawn Evans has been really good, but he's a little bit more of a run defender. Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins, though, two young safeties, uh, really playing well this this season. It's kind of a breakout season for both of them. Not the biggest breakout in the world, but like the first time they've both been starters and they've played really well. Last week was a tough game for each of them. I think they'll bounce back. But yeah, I would expect the Falcons to really focus on Pickens and Fryermuth through the air. Let Deontay Johnson, if he's going to be the one to beat you, so be it. Uh, and then I think they will send send some combination pressures. They don't blitz a lot, but they'll simulate pressures. They'll send guys from, from all over the place. Any picket has been taken to the ground in bunches at times this season. I think the Falcons will try to make that happen and see if he can get back to turning the football over the way that he was kind of the first start, uh, first series of starts that he had as opposed to recently where he's taking care of the ball, but the Falcons and turn it over through the air. I think that'll be their approach. I hope not. <laughs> That'd be kind of interesting. You know, I wanted to ask you about that too with, uh, well, I guess we're still kind of on the defense, but we're, we're kind of moving along there. But we can go yeah, wherever you want to. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Like we said, two dudes just talking about football. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'll, I'll mention too, uh, while I'm thinking about it, don't forget to follow Will and his work. That's uh believe in Falcons 
podcast and the Falcoholic. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff up. I know a lot of people don't necessarily go to the other teams' websites or media uh, mm-hmm. when they're previewing a game, but you can learn and get a lot of insight on what the Atlanta Falcons uh, have to bring. So what else you got to do? You know, it's getting colder weather. If you're not going to the Dome, then by all means, go check out uh, check out Will's work and hear hear what he's really got to say. He's being um, he's being quite kind so far <laughs> in his analysis. I don't <laughs> I don't disagree with Pat Fryermuth. I think sometimes he just kind of gets lost in this shuffle. And Deontay Johnson is the guy. You're absolutely right. Let him try and beat you. And we're st- I'm still waiting for that breakout. And I feel like there's there's times we actually witnessed him. On Monday night, he uh, red zone, like two yards from the goal line, he threw up his hands like he was like he owed about the play call right out of the huddle. And it's kind of like, well, I don't have to defend this guy. He's not going to do anything. You know what I mean? It's like you yeah. kind of gave the body language after he does it too. you know, shoulders slumped like a uh, ball's not coming my way. And I, I don't like that attitude necessarily, but there has been frustration. that's definitely been boiled over when it comes to the Steelers, mm-hmm. the offense, the play calling. Um, and, and I actually have been on record even defending the plays and the plays aren't necessarily anything that's mind blowing for Matt Canada, mind you. And you've got, you got players even like with the Colts, which is kind of funny. The Bengals started this with Jermaine Pratt two weeks ago and said, they're calling the same plays they are the same plays over and over. They're the same plays. Well, when you get 30 and 24 or whatever dropped on you and you're not defending against the same plays, I hate to tell you it's what's working and. You're gonna. What teams don't call the same plays? I mean, you play John Madden football, will or ever played in your life? You're gonna call the same play, or you're gonna flip it. You know what I mean? Even going back yeah. to the old Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis days, you would still maybe call the same play. So, uh, <laughs> it's what it's what the rookie's comfortable with. What's what's in his wheelhouse? That's and the big thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. It seems like um, Kenny may have settled in. I'm not gonna say he's gonna be so perfect as to not thrown interception but part of the big thing i think with that was the the attitude thing and i think chase claypool was a component of that and at least two of the interceptions that pick it through were probably attributed like right to chase claypool now where kenny's not lighting the world on fire is the steelers still struggle in the red zone to score touchdowns particularly in the air so uh, when the steelers have this ball exactly you're gonna have to look for george pickens he's gonna be the favorite target he's gonna be the guy that's his back shoulder fade in the corner of the end zone you're gonna have to watch mm-hmm. pat Fryermuth kind of leaking out and the Steelers get a little bit maybe of reinforcements here with Miles Boykin coming back. And that's going to be more important to the special teams aspect. The Steelers were horrible, 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 horrible. And this is a great transition because you got a great special teams player. Mike Tomlin was talking up Cordell Patterson, who's not only a great special teams player, but seems to always find his niche somewhere within an offense. And he's just a, he's a Swiss army knife, so to speak, of what his talents and abilities are. So when you flip over to the other side of the ball, first of all, special teams. Steelers hopefully uh, getting a few of their bodies back because when you don't even have like some of your special teams players and you're relying on people, we saw how that could have it could have ruined Monday night for the Steelers. Uh, big, uh, several big returns in that game, and you just can't do that when you have Patterson staring you down from the other side of the field. So, uh, kind of interested in hearing your thoughts about Patterson and his impact, and then I guess we'll jump into the rest of the Falcons' offense. Yeah. So Cordero Patterson. Um... Earlier this season uh, against Chicago, set the NFL's uh, record for all-time kickoff return touchdowns. I believe he has nine. It was either he was at nine, he got ten. I think he's at nine. Um, I think that's a new record. But yeah, he's he's been a big part of Atlanta's offense. Certainly, he was dinged up to start the year. Started out extremely hot. He had two games with I think over 120 rushing yards in the first four games before he got hurt. Missed some time, came back. He hasn't really been the focal point of Atlanta's offense since his return. Uh, They have done a better job of kind of making it a little bit more of a committee approach, which I think is the goal. Remember last year, they brought in Mike Davis as well as Cordero Patterson. And the assumption was that Mike Davis coming off of a year in Carolina where he filled in for Christian McCaffrey and did a really good job and and had uh, maybe over a thousand yards. It was very close. Um, he was expected to be the the 1A back here in Atlanta with Cordero Patterson is the experiment. And we yeah. all know how that turned out, right? Not, so Not good for anyone drafting fantasy football in the preseason. <laughs> exactly, right. So now I think the Falcons have more of what they wanted last year with Tyler Algier, the rookie, and, and Caleb Huntley, 
who also is is an undrafted player who came in and has done really well and earned a spot. He has held them pretty admirably at times, but he, he's faded back into the background since Cordero Patterson's come back. So it's really Algier and Patterson, but they'll both get last week. They got 12 carries each. Patterson broke off a 51 yard run, which is a big explosive play. Outside of that, he didn't have too, too much. Algier was more the average yards per carry, kind of get four or five yards here. Um, and really the offensive line for Atlanta's run game is the star of the show. So they, they are going to figure out ways to get movement up front. Uh, they've done it against all of the good defensive lines that they've played this year. I know that Pittsburgh has a very, very good one, but against Washington, they had a drive where they moved bodies five yards down the field past the line of scrimmage on the offensive line before the running back even reached them. I mean, it was truly impressive stuff. So I, I think that that is the star of Atlanta's run game is really the offensive line, even though Patterson gets kind of the headlines. Even when it comes to special teams for Atlanta, Avery Williams is, is the player that I would think of very first when I'm thinking of special teams and even returners. Cordero Patterson, yes, the, the record is, is his. And he had that kickoff return for a touchdown that was huge against Chicago. But Avery Williams is their punt returner and currently leads the league uh, with 17.4 yards per punt return. So he's really effective when he gets the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, not a ton per game, but he's certainly capable of flipping the field. And then he will mix in as a little bit of a dynamic player out of the backfield. But he's just kind of an athlete with a good field sense, always makes kind of a smart play. Uh, with the ball and and the Falcons use him very effectively to kind of set up short field and, and flip games. And when you're in a really close game, sometimes a player like Avery Williams can make a difference as a uh, punt returner. So he's another one that I would watch for on special teams. So would it be fair to say that the Falcons are primarily a ground based offensive attack? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know it's pretty obvious to me, but I'm bringing it up for all, all the same reasons. If you if you just heard that will just must have mentioned about 80 different players that carry the ball uh tyler algier 552 yards so far this season only one touchdown on the ground but quarterell patterson mm -hmm. 506 on the ground mary marcus mariota as a quarterback has four rushing touchdowns 421 yards himself on 82 yep. attempts caleb huntley 71 carries, 347 yards, and a touchdown. And then you had mentioned Avery Williams here, only 14 carries for 83. But still, that that's a lot of dudes to be carrying the rock and toting it around. And overall, I mean, the Falcons have given up defensively about 1,500 yards for the season or over 1,900 offensively running the ball. That's uh, good for fourth in the NFL, I believe, if I saw the number correctly. And, yeah, I was looking at this. Vegas has Falcons minus one over under 42. So you're thinking again. One of these kind of plotting games, two run teams, maybe not a lot of high scoring, all depending. So yeah, uh, let me see here. I had it here. Uh, yeah, fourth, fourth for the run and thirty first passing. Sounds um, yep. <laughs> almost very Steelers like. Uh, the Steelers have kind of been bobbling back and forth. We know how those averages work. You, you twenty yards fewer this week, and then all of a sudden you're like thirtieth in the league because you're near the bottom so it's not like either of them are lighting the world on fire passing the ball Steelers a lot better as we mentioned running it as of late uh they've been able to top 100 and, and some uh 217 against the Saints 172 uh against the Colts and who was the game in the in the middle somewhere here uh the Bengals 102 so they've topped 100 uh each time but defensively Steelers have been okay against running against teams running the ball. I mean, the Browns on a Thursday night game got the most 171. They haven't given up 150 to anybody else. They've given up a hundred in a few different games, but it hasn't really been the, I'd say the chief reason why they've lost some of these games. They've struggled more or less. Will with Sanjay Perrine against the Bengals. It was like, uh, <laughs> It was supposed to be Joe Mixon, and that's where the Bengals were going to funnel everything was right over uh, to their running backs. And pass game, out in the flat, little wheel routes, and those are the things that concern me a lot with the Falcons. But you also have the – you don't have Joe Burrow running around as much maybe as Marcus Mariota. So what does that attack look like from the Falcons' end of things? Because I can tell you right now, the Steelers, middle of the field – inside linebackers that's something that's always uh, it's been suspect and it's been suspect for quite some time over the last few years especially Devin Bush when he got hurt and came back etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where I'm seeing it um fortunately there's a fortunately unfortunately here too 
Kyle Pitts, he's on IR officially now, right? His season's uh, completely yes. finished. Yeah, I, I believe so. So what uh, tight end have we never heard of that's going to slice and dice the Steelers this week? That's kind of like Jelani Woods like last week. Is there anyone to carry the torch to uh, at tight end? I know it's kind of a two-part question, but the backs yeah. and tight ends – um, when you have a primarily ground-based attack like the Falcons look like that they're going to approach, uh, they're approaching every game with, then you you, you kind of keep it safe for that quarterback like Marcus Mariota, so he doesn't have as many turnovers. His safety blankets there, and that's been a killer for the Steelers so far this season. Yeah, with tight end, so it was weird because Kyle Pitts was like he's was never used so much as a safety blanket, right? Like he was the the weapon to get out, and yeah. the Falcons by and large. What they've done, because there are going to be drives, and I, I believe there was a drive against Cleveland that was 11 or 12 plays, all runs. Touchdown drive, started at the, the 25, 75 yards, literally did not throw the ball the entire drive and just marched it down the field. There are going to be drives like that for Atlanta. And, and that is the thing that I think a lot of people, when they hear, yeah, Atlanta's a run first team. No, like they're, they are a Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech run first team. And... When they do pass the ball, because they want to run it and move these defenses away from the cover two, kind of cover four, these put a tent over the, the offense and not let any explosive plays, like they want to draw defenses out of that and bring that man back into the box and get him back into a cover three single high look. And that's when they're going to throw the ball, but you're not going to know when it's, it's coming because you could be in that single high look for four straight plays. They're just going to keep running the ball because that is their best way of moving the football, frankly. Like when they throw the ball, it's not like Falcons fans are, are cheering. It's more like they're holding their breath um, because you never really know what, what's going to happen. And that has kind of been their MO is they're going to draw you up and then they're going to go for that counter punch over the top. The Falcons got in a little bit of trouble because Marcus Mariota started missing and he's missed most of his deep shots all year long, but he started getting some turnovers in there. He was missing wide open players, uh, whether that was on the receiver or Marcus. It, Falcons never really made that clear, but it was it was clear that the deep game wasn't working. So we've seen recently since that Thursday night game against Carolina, they've kind of pulled back and they've started going to more of these safer kind of check down routes, but it's not a developed part of their route concept, I would say. They don't really have running backs coming out of the backfield on these wheel routes or on these angle routes or things like that. They're more likely to motion Cordero Patterson out just to a true wide receiver set and have him run a, a route like that because he's that good of a route runner. So the Falcons kind of just take their shots downfield when they do throw the ball. It's not a ton of, all right, we're going to get this guy in space with 15 yards in front of him to run against his own defense. And even if they did, Marcus has not been really on point with his accuracy to allow receivers to really have great run after the catch opportunities. Usually going to be a 15 yard dagger play where he hits the in breaking guy for a 17 yard gain. And then he gets tackled and the Falcons move up and then they're going to run the ball six more times. Like that's kind of what the offense has been here for Atlanta. So as far as the tight end to step in, they're going to do it a little bit by committee. Michael Pruitt has been the fill-in who's been most effective for uh, Kyle Pitts, but they're totally different players. Michael Pruitt's more of a blocking guy, kind of a throwback uh, Heath Miller type of tight end, I guess I could say. Uh, Anthony Furkser is a little bit more of a dynamic receiver, but the Falcons have not used him very much at all this year, which is a little surprising to me. Felipe Franks, the former Florida quarterback, probably could do the best Kyle Pitts impersonation. But in the moments that he's gotten his opportunities this year, he's not caught the ball or, or he's come up short. And then Parker Hesse is a little bit of this fullback, tight end, hybrid, all over the guy, utility man that you'll probably see on the field a lot. He's number 46, but they don't use him much as an offensive weapon. So those are the tight ends in the mix without Kyle Pitts. Yeah, it was a little bit more of a joke just because we've seen it happen <laughs> and, and it's seen him happen in different games. It's usually I've identified it as Terrell Edmonds not being on the field, one of the Steelers safeties and the Steelers, they're going to try and throw. He didn't do it as much against the Colts. Surprisingly was um, they have a couple different ways to defend against the run over the last year or two. And one of those now is a three safety look with Demonte Casey Edmonds. And then of course, Mick Fitzpatrick. They'll also uh, oftentimes when they're healthy and they've all been banged up at one point or another this season between Devin Bush, Miles Jack and Robert Spillane, who missed the game last week and is a key uh, special teams contributor as well. 
is mm-hmm. they'll play with three linebackers, uh, three inside linebackers. They'll try and dice up the middle of the field there and not, not allow you to get to the second level. So it'll be interesting to see how the Steelers uh, approach this defensively. I can tell you one one thing that's kind of crept up since the bye week, and I think this is an influence of Brian Flores. It looks like a lot more zero blitz type looks where you almost have everyone up on the line of scrimmage. And it's like, okay, who's dropping and who's coming? And mm-hmm. they used that, uh, they've used that at least in the last two, if not three weeks. And I kind of see that influence because I remember Flores using that in Miami, particularly against like Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, which is more of a run, uh, obviously run oriented offense with a mobile quarterback, an athletic quarterback, but uh, maybe not seeing the same type of deep shots, even though Drake London is more than capable of yep. taking the top off. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is he currently lead all rookie wide receivers in receiving? Or he's somewhere at the top of that list. Think. I know he was to begin the year. Uh, he's cooled off recently, but again, part of, most of that has to do with the nature of the offense and the volume in the passing game. There just aren't a ton of uh, options or, or chances, I guess I should say, for uh, somebody like Drake London, who may have four or five targets in a game. But if if you're looking at a Chris Olave, who's maybe getting 11 targets a game, like that's where on a per play basis, no issues with Drake London at all. He's been everything that, that you would want him to be. The volume's just not there yet. So we'll have to see. It wasn't really there for Kyle Pitts either. That's just what Atlanta's offense is in 2022. I don't expect it to be that way forever. But this year, at least it's, it's produced an elite run game. And at least they can, they can kind of rely on that. Yeah. And he's had a touchdown grab in a couple of the last handful of games here i was just looking mm-hmm. at the schedule and i was like wow really by week after this game yeah <laughs> that's a real late one and then there's four more to close out the season that's that's a really late bye week so do you think the team's a little bit kind of i know the steelers going to be a second straight road game and then a shorter week so they're gonna be licking their wounds a little bit uh just that kind of like war of attrition the adversity that mike tomlin talks about you got any kind of bangs or uh, dings bruises or anything like that it looks like the falcons are fairly Really healthy. Not as many names on the injury report as on the Steelers side. Yeah, they they are fairly healthy outside of the guys that are on IR. Again, Taquan Graham uh, and Kyle Pitts join a list. You know that also includes Casey Hayward, um, who was their number two corner, big free agent, uh, veteran acquisition this year. He and AJ Terrell went out uh, same game, so that was that was really yeah. tough to lose both of those guys. So there are some guys. Elijah Wilkinson just came off of IR. He was the starting left guard. I don't think he's going to be back for this game. Um, so the injury report, yeah, looks pretty good for this point of the season. I actually think that the Falcons are going to come out and play a really good, sharp, clean game. I, I think that the Washington loss, which should have been a win, had not been uh, for Deron Payne tipping that pass, at the goal line. I mean, the Falcons, I think, executed that exactly the way they wanted to, which is why it was probably such a gut punch the way that it ended, because it was right there to get a road win in the in the conference against a team that was red hot in the worst weather possible. Like that's the type of win that it galvanizes a team for like a stretch run. And the Falcons were right there to get that win. And so I think that we talked about how the bye week is after this game. What are all the, the questions about Desmond Ritter? Some people are, a lot of people, frankly, are ready to kind of turn the page, see what the future looks like. Do we have something in this quarterback or do we need to draft another quarterback? You know how everybody can, can fixate so much on that one position. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> it comes it's up all every everybody, single show. <laughs> it's all everybody wants to talk about. And so if the Falcons win on Sunday, they'll be right there in the mix. You know, they'll be... Uh, six and, and seven and have an opportunity to really kind of, or six and eight, excuse me. Um, and really no six and seven, uh, and have an opportunity to, to kind of keep this thing, the division race going for the entirety of the season, because Tampa Bay five and six right now, they play the saints though. And so one of those teams is going to have to win. The saints are four and eight. If the Falcons lose on Sunday, that drops them down to six or to five and eight. New Orleans, let's say they win and they beat Tampa, which last week Tampa losing kept Atlanta in the thick of the NFC South. But if Tampa loses this week, now New Orleans is five and eight and they have a head to head tiebreaker against Atlanta. They would jump Atlanta. So for all intents and purposes, and I hate using must win game as like a, a thing. This is a must win game for Atlanta because I think they'll take one of two approaches depending on the outcome of this game. If they win, 
regardless of what happens with Tampa, New Orleans, all that stuff, you're still in the thick of it. This team's goal is to reach the playoffs. I think they benefit. I think a lot of the young players on this team benefit from continuing to stay in this type of race throughout the entirety of the season. You just learn that all these games are important and you take each team's best and you learn how to give your best and all of that stuff. And even if this is a transition year, that to me is worth more than a high draft pick. But if the Falcons lose, regardless what, of what happens with Tampa and New Orleans, then I think they use the bye week to maybe reassess to say, okay, who do we want to get a four-game evaluation on? What decisions do we need to make this offseason? And how can we best educate ourselves to properly make those decisions over these next four games? I think that's really in play. And I think that you would have a scenario where maybe Desmond Ritter does then get a four-game start because they have said they'll stick with Marcus Mariota as long as they're in it that's not necessarily the same as he's our starter for the entirety of the year. Right. So I think a lot for Atlanta rides on this game, which is why I think you're going to see them come out and play really, really good football. You know, um, and and again, the same thing, like how do you say must win? (laughs) I mean, the Steelers are seven loss team, but if they were able to close out some of these games, they still have two against the Ravens coming up and still a game against the Browns. I mean, the Browns just, uh, they have a head to head, right now and they're getting Deshaun Watson back. We have no idea what that's going to look like. Um, the Bengals are actually one in three in the division, uh, but they, you know, they split with the uh, Steelers so far this season. So the Steelers, you know, ne- aren't necessarily out of it division wise overall in the conference, though, they've taken quite a few AFC losses and, you know, it's one of those things. When do you turn to a rookie quarterback? How long do you develop them? When does it become valuable for them to have playing time? And it's good to have those type of conversations even when Mm -hmm. you're looking at like a a third round pick like Desmond Ritter yeah I gotta ask from the other side of the fence though do you have any kind of little buyer's remorse maybe not going after somebody like Kenny Pickett I wonder if some of the people looking from outside see everybody's going to complain in Pittsburgh no matter what because it's not (laughs) Ben Roethlisberger uh you can't put a gold jacket on Kenny just yet and and that's not how it works it's it's not at all how it works you have to let these quarterbacks get some time and show what they can do. But so far, in my opinion, he looks like he's, he's for real. Like he's got the stuff to build on to perhaps be, I hate saying perhaps and everything like that, but it it very well could fall flat on his face year two, year three and be out of the league and you know, year five, that's a possibility. But at the same time, I wonder what any outsiders think looking at Kenny Pickett, like, geez, this guy fell to like pick 20, like my team passed on them. I wonder about the same thing with like the saints or the Panthers, but mostly like, uh, I think you benefit a lot being in that conference. There's a lot of quarterbacks in flux and it's not like Tom Brady's going to play forever either. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the same thing as the AFC North where you got Lamar Jackson, you got Joe Burrow, and now you've got whatever 250 gazillion dollars guaranteed to Deshaun Watson, where you got to hope that, you know, Kenny Pickett was the right move. So just curious yeah. on your thoughts there. Well, no, the NFC South is definitely not the uh, the AFC North. That is that is for sure. Um, I think that Kenny Pickett actually, and I don't mean this in the full sense because I think they are different players, but it's just the the basis of which I can really draw from. Uh, I think that I got the same sense watching Kenny Pickett a few times this year as I did watching Matt Ryan in 2008, which is their mistakes. He's a rookie, like got to learn how to do it. But there is a certain grittiness a certain competitiveness a certain just like willingness to make something happen at times that i have seen from kenny pickett and i do think he uses his athleticism well he does give you know somebody like a george pickens a chance at a ball which receivers really appreciate like the whole deontay johnson being frustrated being annoyed pittsburgh has had its fair share of of diva and that's not even fair to the to the players but of of wide receivers who have personalities, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's something Mike Tomlin likes because when you, you have to have that certain edge to play that position because you have to just think that you're capable of taking the ball to the house every single time. Like you need that irrational confidence, even if you're the fifth receiver on the roster. Um, So I, I think that there does come frustrations, but Kenny Pickett is also the type of player that's going to really, I think, ingratiate himself to a wide receiver that believes he's better than everybody else because Kenny Pickett throws the ball to them like he does as well. And and that, I think, will matter more for what the Steelers' offense can be is if Kenny Pickett learns how to really 
actually give his players like the best possible chance, even in situations where other quarterbacks might not. And that's not to say that you have to have the strongest arm. That's not to say that you have to have the most anticipation in the world, but it's just like, we're going to be on sync or in sync to a level that other defenses can't stop. And I definitely think Kenny Pickett can reach that based on what I've seen so far. So, I mean, yeah, we don't know. None of us know what we're talking about. We're literally projecting the future here, but I've seen some of the intangible qualities coupled with, you know, just the natural athletic ability that he has to, to think that he could be something here in Pittsburgh, which obviously does know how to, I think, uh, work the quarterback position pretty well. Yeah, well, you could only hope, and I, and I can't I can't say anything bad about Ritter. We had nothing but complimentary things to say about him. We actually thought the pick was going to be Malik Willis because he never thought the picket was going to make it past. You know, it looked like Atlanta was looking for a quarterback. It looked like Carolina was looking for a quarterback. It looked like the Saints might be looking at quarterback. There yeah. were a few interested, perhaps interested parties, and I think they just kind of lucked out from some teams having and, – and multiple picks too. It just right. so happens that some teams are already – let's say like the Eagles had already invested in Jalen hurts. Are they going to pull a trigger necessarily on somebody like that? So uh, sounds like you have no regrets thus far because you still, again, you're trying to predict the future and see maybe, maybe Ritter surprises some people. And uh, you feel like it was maybe a dart throw in the, in the third round, or was it like something like, geez, this guy's still here. We absolutely, why not? (laughs) Or was it like really calculated? Like you thought maybe they would take a chance on a quarterback if it was the, the flip side of that was, okay, this guy's here and we, we would really like him as long as he's here on our board versus the other way around. Um, it's just, I, I wish, here's what I wish. Uh, I wish <laughs> this game was after the bye so we could actually, I don't like the unknown. I don't like playing quarterbacks when it's like there's no tape on them and then they could like yeah, really yeah. kind of. Duck Hodges a few years ago was burning people for a few weeks, not putting up huge numbers, like barely 200 yards passing, but able to get the job done until everyone found out he can't really throw downfield or in the middle of it. Uh, so those kind of things happen, but I would have been more excited to see Ritter. So um, that would have been fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess maybe you've already answered a little bit of that. Uh, it just sounds like. I said I wasn't a big fan of Marcus Mariota, and my problem with him had been turnovers. He'd been very turnover-prone, also injury-prone, and he stayed healthy. It doesn't seem like he's been as like uh, willing to cough up the football. So I guess in, in one of the closing um, comments here is you got T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith coming yep. after Marcus Mariota. What's Marcus Mariota doing in this situation? That's a really good question uh, because he, he, <laughs> he can escape. He definitely can. He definitely can. Um, and he's faster. I think than a lot of people are going to expect, you know, watching this game. Yeah. You know that he can run, but like the dude, dude can actually run. Um, it's just that he chooses not to a lot of the time, but when he does, he picks his spots really well. And that is one of the key ingredients of Atlanta's offense, because they're really an offense predicated on just staying in rhythm, staying ahead of the chains, being in second and four, as opposed to, you know, second and nine. And Marcus does a great job in keeping them there uh, and, and on rhythm, but he does have a tendency to have the ball jarred loose. Uh, He does have some fumbling uh, issues so far this year. He's cleaned those up a little bit lately, but, could Alex Highsmith or, or TJ Watt get to him and, and knock the ball loose? Absolutely. Could they chase him down from behind as he escapes the pocket and maybe doesn't feel him coming? Absolutely. But the Falcons usually, like, when they're running their passing routes and it's more of just a drop-back passing game, they leave a lot of blockers in. It's a lot of two-man, three-man concepts with uh, a, a heavy set, offensive line to one side or they're bringing in both tight ends or they're leaving in two running backs to block the Falcons do a really good job of keeping their pass protection really solid they don't let Marcus Mariota get too much in his face because they want to all right one two look downfield if the explosive is there hit it if not figure out what else to do but we're going to give you the time to do that and they marry it with their run game really well where defensive lines just kind of can't get a read on is this a run or a pass until maybe a second or two is passed? And, and that's kind of what exactly Atlanta wants to have happen is they want to give him that extra second or two by confusing a defense mentally. And then there's a stone wall in front of him. And that should hopefully give you the extra two seconds to find that guy downfield. So are Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt 
good enough to beat Jake Matthews and Kayla McGarry very quickly around the edge? Absolutely, they are. They 100% could do that. But Atlanta has been better in pass protection for a variety of reasons than they have been in recent years. Uh, so I'm really curious. I think this is going to be a great matchup, and I'm, I'm excited to see specifically Alex Highsmith um, this weekend. Oh, um, we're big fans of Alex Highsmith. It's good. Like it's one of those. Best <laughs> I liked known. him a lot coming out of Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's one of those best kept secrets. You get fans who really cry about like certain draft picks and drafts and, you know, outgoing uh, GM for 20 some years uh, here, Kevin Colbert. And they like mm-hmm. the nitpick little things. And you forget about guys like Alex Highsmith coming out of the third round out of Charlotte. Charlotte has football. And well, you know, <laughs> he pretty much holds every record because he was there for like the inception of their program, basically, yep. uh, at least at the uh, division one level. So uh, just to, to, to close the book on Marcus Mariota. And as you were saying, um, this was the main reason I didn't like Mariota as far as a fit for the Steelers. I honestly, I didn't like Mitch Trubisky and most people who've listened or watched this show know how I feel about him. And I just felt maybe Mitch kind of protected the ball a little bit better. Uh, Mariota, eight fumbles and three of those lost in the first seven games. Now, the turning point mm-hmm. since has been he hasn't been fumbling the ball as much uh, or at all. So in the last five games, he hasn't coughed it up whatsoever after eight fumbles in those first seven. Uh, taking 10 sacks in those last five, 17 in the first seven, Seven touchdowns and four interceptions in each batch of those games. So that's kind of interesting. So there has been uh, improvement on Mariota's end. It's it's really strange to say because you're talking about in both of those circumstances, veteran quarterbacks who are former first round or the top quarterback of yep. like their class. And here, here they are in their second or third go around. They've been backups and everything like that. But now it's the Kenny Pickett show and uh, Steelers get to see a little bit of the future and, you know, uh, maybe we don't see it this week, but maybe in the near future you get to see if Desmond Ritter has a future. I don't know that four games is enough to evaluate, but four games is... I don't either. Yeah, it's it's enough. It's going to be a couple of years process, unless there's like some just can't miss guy that falls in your lap. And I'm a big believer, too, that, you know, tanking. I don't believe in tanking. I don't really believe in draft and- position. The only, yep. the only place that draft position actually might matter is when you're taking a quarterback, and it really depends on which one you end up kind of getting stuck with because the, I look back at that draft with Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen, and it's just uh, Steelers got Mason Rudolph, who was the sixth guy taken in the third round, sitting on the bench there, and it's like he's probably better than a handful of the guys who went in the first round uh, at least, so or at least on par with, uh, you know, had he been a full-time starter. So, well. Uh, up against it. Thank you for your time. I know I've taken a lot of it. Thanks for joining us <laughs> and educating us about the Falcons. Uh, tell us uh, where, when, how to follow you and everything else and any other closing thoughts you might have about Sunday's game. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Joe. It was awesome uh, getting the chance to chat with you, but you guys can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden. Please follow Believe in Falcons wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, got a, I'll have a show Monday morning with former Falcons fullback Ovi Mahaley, former Baltimore Raven uh, fullback Ovi Mahaley. So maybe you won't want to tune in for that, but then you can also find all my written work <laughs> on, uh, on the Falcoholic. So yeah, this was great, Joe. I'm really excited for the game. I think it's going to be a, a bellwether for maybe where Pittsburgh is, is going and what Atlanta can make uh, happen for the rest of the season. Because if Atlanta drops this one, like I said, I, I think that we'll see a very different version of this team at the end, which makes this a, a really, really important game for Atlanta. So I, I expect their best, and I expect Pittsburgh to kind of bounce back off a short week. Yeah, and they're not exactly the Texans, and they're competitive. No. And even yeah. a few of the losses, close games. So I think a lot of people will just look at it, and they'll have like that kind of preseason mentality or thought, oh, these guys are bums. We don't know who any of them are. Why is this game so close or anything No, like it's going to be a close it's, game. Yeah, I believe so too, and it's – uh, because each of them are still trying to find their way. I, I don't believe, yep. you know, maybe maybe the Falcons even have more of an identity than the Steelers do, at least offensively. And the Steelers have had trouble establishing a defensive identity due to injuries and not having the same consistent players week in and week out on the field for them. I don't know. Maybe I'll make it to Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> I have to go on Saturday, though. Got to go to the SEC championship instead so you can catch Chick-fil-A because they won't be yeah. open. <laughs> it won't be open in the stadium. So 
but at least, yeah, nobody should be complaining about that um, unless there's some fresh paint or paint gets changed or something like that on the field. We have some crazy story <laughs> like the Hall of Fame a few years ago, but it's not. It's field turf. It's the dome. It's, you know, a controlled environment. So that was something that um, I was uh, I was contemplating myself. I'm just like, you can be able to get like a hotel room or anything like that down there if you end up going. So um, and I'll also programming note for our listeners and viewers too. I'll have um, our cheat sheet episode coming up following this at some point when we get the full injury reports and all of the in in and out status for the game and some other ways to watch and whatnot. Because this one, uh, unfortunately, won't be viewable everywhere. It's not going to be the big, you know, one o'clock window game. It's not. I can't imagine why. Yeah, gee, I wonder. So <laughs> there's going to be there's always those folks that kind of pop into Facebook and they're like, OK, who's streaming the game? Where can I watch this? They wait until like quarter after one when they figured out it wasn't on TV on their local TV. And uh, yeah, just uh, make sure you check into that. Tune in and I'll try and give you some pointers on that as best I can. So, uh, folks, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. Once again, thank you to Will McFadden, Believe in uh, Falcons uh, podcast for joining us on the program today. And, uh, Will, best of, best of luck to you. I, I I don't know that I sincerely mean that because we both want to see <laughs> our teams win. But at this uh, juncture... You know, in the in the uh, on the calendar and on the schedule, like I said, it's hard to believe it's December already. And I know both of these teams are kind of already kind of reside almost to their fate. They could maybe do something, but they're more than likely not going to do something. And that kind of sucks to already kind of be out of that kind of conversation. Maybe not looking into January and whatnot. But uh, it sounds like both uh, both franchises have a lot to look forward to beyond that. So there's a lot of evaluation to do going forward. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Uh, hopefully the Falcons aren't out of it after Sunday just yet, but, but no, it should definitely be exciting. Yep. Well, thanks, Will. My name's Joe. And as we always close off this show, we encourage all of our viewers and listeners out there to be safe, be good, and we'll catch you later. We would like to thank you for listening and remind our listeners to follow us on social media and our website, www.steelcityunderground.com. 